Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our cybersecurity podcast. I'm Chloe Seaton, an ethical hacker in our cybersecurity practice. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the thing on every business leader and security professional's mind, the threat of ransomware. Almost a quarter of UK senior executives in our recent PwC survey said that they expect ransomware attacks to increase in 2023. With that in mind, let's think about what measures organizations can take to boost ransomware resilience. Most critically, what lessons can be learned from recent ransomware attacks? To help me unpack this hot topic, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Fran Thompson, CIO for the Irish Health Service Executive. In 2021, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the Irish HSE was hit by a damaging ransomware attack, causing all of its systems nationwide to shut down. Fran and the Iris HSE have been vocal advocates for sharing the lessons for the incident and to help improve transparency and enable all organisations to get ransomware ready. I'm also excited to welcome Pat Moran, a partner at PwC Ireland. Pat and the PwC team were commissioned by the Iris HSE board to conduct a post-incident review of the ransomware attack, looking in detail at what happened. Welcome both. Lovely to have you here. I'd like to start this episode with a recap and briefly take us back to the beginning. Fran, for those listeners who may not be familiar with the ransomware attack on the Irish HSE in May 2021, can you share with us that moment when you got the call that CIOs or CISOs dread? Um, so I got a call, I think it was about uh, three in the morning, maybe maybe slightly later. Uh, and I always know when the phone rings at three in the morning, it's, it's never to give me good news. Um, and it was a, a call from our CTO um, who said to me that we were under a significant cyber attack at that moment in time. Um, and that we had, within ICT, had called a sort of a, a, an emergency meeting of all, all of the heads to see how we would best deal with this. Um, I had uh, 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 prior to that authority from the CEO that if we ever needed to do something like this, that I would have the authority to go shut down the network. So um, my first thought, I suppose, was, you know, to Ellen, you know, what services are impacted? And she said, look, it's, it's everything right across the whole network. So, um, you know, fairly quickly then I um, I said, look, I'll ring you back. I had a, I had a quick think about it. Uh, we got onto a, a, a wider call with some of our team and we agreed immediately to shut the network down as fast as we could to protect as much as we could, as quickly as we could. Um, one of the challenges, I suppose, of course, in shutting a network like ours down, as you think about our, our network is fairly large. Uh, we have about 4,000 locations, which about 2,800 directly on the network, you know, about 5,000 servers, which are all virtualized, 83,000 end user devices. You know, how you shut that down is the very same way the attackers are using to actually encrypt your data. So there's a there's an arms race between you to shut things down as fast as you can. Wow. I think it just resonated with me when you were reflecting back on how intense that situation must have been. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this ransomware in attack in particular, we're not just talking about reputational damage and we're not just talking about financial loss. We're talking about risk to life when you say about shutting down the network. How does how does that feel? How did you take that decision to say we're shutting down the network? 
So, uh, first of all, as it was an attack on a health service is not an attack like on an ICT infrastructure. So, uh, in our case, it's an attack on everybody who lives in the country and you know puts their health uh, uh, potentially at peril. Um, so, in, in some ways, it's a balance of risks. Um, once you recognise the significance and the, the the size and scale of the attack, um, you know. It, it, it was a, in some ways, easy choice is the wrong word, but 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 it was it was a logical choice to do to reduce and to try and contain any of the damage. Um, after I'd made the call, that you know, I, I made a call to the CEO very early in the morning to advise him that look, we were under a, a significant attack. I had taken that decision, um, and that we you know that that we would need to convene the national uh, 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 crisis emergency management team, uh, you know. ASAP. Um, the CEO um, was on national radio at 8 a.m. that morning, two hours later, to advise the public that the HSE was under a significant attack, to advise the public of the challenges that we now were going to face. While we didn't have all the information, we didn't know everything that was going on, but at least it, it, it allowed people um, to be aware that there was something significant going on, a significant challenge, and we would be back, you know, with further information. Which he was back on literally every news for the next, you know, number of weeks anyway, um, broadcast uh, to to advise people, you know, where we were, what the state of play was, and what the risks were. Yeah, and I definitely think it's admirable um, how. Irish HSC were really public from the off about what had happened because of the risks associated with this type of attack. Um, you mentioned crisis management there. Um, I just wanted to ask you a follow-up on that. Um, in some of the reports and some of the publications that are out about the ransomware attack, it said that um, for helping crisis management, the army actually got involved. How Can you uh, explain a little bit more about that and your experience there? Yeah, so uh, health services are really good at dealing with other people's crises because <laughs> that's what we're trained for and that's what the organization does. Um, this was sort of our own crisis. So we had a, a, you know, an approach around how we deal with uh, ICT issues, which is around containing it, informing people, uh, uh, you know, making sure that we assess what's there and then getting a, a recovery piece. Um, so the contain piece for us was about shut down the network and making sure that nobody else could could get at it. Um, the inform piece is really about informing people. And when you think about that, in, in, in informing people, it's not just informing our own people. We we employ directly a hundred, uh, sorry, eighty thousand people, and indirectly about one hundred and fifty-eight thousand people. So it's informing all of those people, informing the public, informing the regulatory uh, 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 people as well. And making sure then that those people are kept informed right the way through it, and then you have to manage the crisis. Now, part of managing the crisis is when you look at the size and scale of an attack of this size, we needed to bring in supports, cyber security teams like your own came in from PwC. We brought in civil uh, civil servants to support us. We brought in huge number of vendors to support us from all our vendor systems and we brought in the defense forces uh, on on two levels one is they provided uh, additional boots on the ground and also they provided us support in setting up our crisis management team and anybody who's ever served in the armed forces you know and, and came into our crisis management team would see a real correlation between that and a, a sort of a standard army crisis type management uh, 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 support unit 
um, is it was structured in that way uh, and we basically utilized their uh, methodology to oversee and manage the crisis. And they say that you know army personnel are used to dealing with that level of stress and operating under that level of stress and I, I guess that's the same in in the healthcare service that you mentioned and yeah I can see how you know, both organisations really complement each other in in dealing with a situation like this. So business recovery, that was clearly critical. But how do you manage that after such a high impact attack such as this? Thinking about things like what order do you put your systems back on? Uh, which hospitals and services are prioritised before others? Can you share some light on what that decision making was like? Yeah, um, so the key to that decision making is collaboration. So when we started on day one, the I mean, like the IT folks uh, uh, very quickly uh, got in a room and said, here's here's the systems we're going to bring back. We, w- we would have already had what we called OES, Operator of Essential Service Systems. Um, and we get a list of those that we need to bring back. But today's technology is layered. So you're not just bringing back the application. There is a layers below the application that need to come back around the foundational infrastructure, the network, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, AD services, and all of these associated services that need to, that need to re- be there for, in order for an application to function smoothly. So the IT guys, of course, will always focus on the things that matter to them. But in reality, what we brought, we, we, we arranged very quickly was meetings with our operational colleagues and our clinical colleagues to assess the systems that come back from a risk perspective. What are the areas that would bring most risk to our clients uh, and to the general public? And what are the areas of risk that, you know, that, that, that really had a clinical impact? And that would very much depend on the sophistication of the IT services that supported them. So, for example, oncology services, you know, which are which are highly computerized, radiology services, highly computerized, you know, they had to be brought back fairly quickly because they had a direct impact. As well as those systems, and people do forget about them, we had an ABC, we had acutes, we had business systems, and we had community systems. So business systems, and people would forget you know, very quickly, you know, we would have to be able to pay our staff and to pay our vendors, or else you know, we, we would have other challenges. And on community, we have a whole range of community systems and services that drive integration between our general practices and our acutes and our community services that are really, really important to managing people in the community. So it, it is it is really a collaboration between the uh, IT people, the business people or okay, uh, management and the clinicians to prioritize the systems that are going back. Now, you know, you start off with one set of priorities, but they change over time. So really we organize daily briefing sessions to communicate, to govern, to align then the clinical services and the IT services, okay, and to listen to issues and concerns and as a result of that prioritize. We developed a set of dashboards to keep people informed of what we were doing on a daily basis. So that, you know, on one day somebody may say to us, this is our priority systems. We would be able to say, this is where they are. We developed a a fairly simple uh, traffic light system to show people where their systems were in what we had was in in our recovery factory. And that was the best way to describe it because we had to bring back about 2,700 applications. So you do create a factory 
you you, you generate fairly a, a, a simply a, mecha a mechanism to bring back a system and then you replicate that across all the other systems as much as you can. People also think linearly just in terms of an application but the application will have interfaces in and out and and the system that you're that you want to receive data from may also be in, in, uh, impacted and may not be 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 uh, available yet so you know there was a lot of thought goes into it and there's a lot of work working with as I say, the clinical team and the business team right throughout the whole organization top to bottom to manage that yeah, it's really interesting hearing about all of the different layers of the systems that you have to consider. It's not just about, yeah, like you say, those systems that obviously are going to have an immediate impact to life, but also the ones that are supporting that, the business systems that keep people in the jobs to, you know, even run these machines in the first place. Uh, tune into you, Pat. I think this is a great time to bring you into the discussion around crisis management and business recovery. In your experience, how can organisations even start to think about preparing for a situation like this thanks chloe uh and you know i've heard the story that franz just eloquently told a number of times now but i never get um bored of listening because i i think it's it's almost like a thriller movie in terms of all those events and and all those impacts and of course it's a real life it's not fiction it's a real life one, and um, the, the HSE, I think, just did a tremendous job at 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 recovering uh, in what was a real black swan event. Because when when I, when I go and, and and talk to clients about crisis management and particularly recovering uh, from a major cyber attack, very few clients um, would would believe a scenario that the HSE faced in terms of. Um, no network, no email, no phones, no mobiles. So completely dark. Uh, everything went completely dark. And trying to rebuild things uh, from a, a type of black swan event is something that I think a lot of a lot of organisations are are not quite ready for, uh, because it's just so difficult to um, visualise that. But it can happen, as we've seen. What I'm seeing more recently, Chloe, is um, organizations doing two key uh, uh, tasks uh, to help address and mitigate this risk. One is they're, they're getting very focused in, in a, a ransomware type attack. Um, so preparing the, the network controls and testing the network controls to ensure that if they are attacked from third party that they can monitor that and detect that quite quickly and so organizations are definitely strengthening their controls to detect and monitor incidents and events like that particularly coming from a, a, a ransomware um channel and then the second thing is <clears throat> more at the at the crisis management level Boards of major organizations and uh, executive teams are preparing themselves uh, in advance with real life scenarios of what if another HSE event happened to us? What would happen if um, uh, we were being held to ransom because uh, anniversary had a lot of our, our, our data? Or what about a data breach uh, where um, a lot of our very sensitive intellectual property or a lot of our um, 
customer information is now out uh, in the wild and publicly available, how would we react? Would we pay the ransom? Uh, would we be ready to pay the ransom? And and, and what what actions do we do we we need? So, in summary, um, focused testing of the network detection and monitoring controls are in place. And secondly, crisis management scenario rehearsals and testing is, is really important. Thank you, Pat. I just had a question come to me then before we move on to the next part about how you said boards are prioritizing um, these two steps that you've mentioned. A question for you just in your experience, are boards starting to listen? Are they starting to be preemptive or is it, go, is it still that situation where they're not really pricking up their ears until the attack happens to them? What, what, what's your uh, es estimation on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a mixed bag, Chloe, uh, is what I would say. Uh, I, I think boards of uh, highly regulated industries and sectors are probably more prepared and more alert to this particular risk and non-executive directors um, especially are concerned on the organization's readiness to sustain um, a major cyber event. However, um, when you move down the, 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 the corporate ladder and you go into the more the mid-sector or the, the small to medium-sized enterprise, I still see a lot of um, uh, lack of knowledge, lack of preparedness, um, lack of investment and budget. And unfortunately, these are the organizations that are being targeted in a very focused way. So what we've seen from our latest PwC threat intelligence reports, we're seeing less of the major scale uh, ransomware attacks that um, the HSC and Fran um, had to recover from. Um, but more very focused on the uh, what we call the business invoice redirection. So this is the phishing email that comes in that's specifically targeting uh, a finance group or a pay payroll group or an accounts payable group um, and asking them to change their payment details. And um, as a result, the organization then being a victim of a payment fraud. Lots more of that happening because of the boards and the leadership groups are not putting the investment in where, where it should be to mitigate against this risk. So fast forward to today, it's coming up on almost two years since the attack. Fran, what's the situation now in terms of recovery and remediation? Is everything back to business as usual now? Or are you still in the flows of getting over this ransomware attack? So within the first five months, we were back to a BAU, a business as usual, um, which is a long time for a health service. Um, so, so, and 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 we, you know, have stayed in that business as usual since then. Um, you'd also, I'd also say as well that you know, you know, even now there there is something that always comes out of the woodwork where somebody runs something once a year or once or whatever and says that this isn't working for me now. And you know, and, and it, it used to work before the cyber attack. And that's you know that's normally a result because we've hardened. Uh, servers down we've hardened things down you know ports are blocked that that, that that weren't available anymore so so our you know sort of teams then need to go in and look at it um, and fix it but it is a business as usual all of our services and all of our systems are back functioning now 
Great, thank you. And and moving to you, Pat, is this scale of ransomware attack unprecedented or are you seeing more situations like this today where the impact of ransomware is just, just as destructive and just as costly? Yeah, well, at, at the time, Chloe, um, we were seeing quite a lot of the, the major scale uh, ransomware attacks um, that, that the HSE were subject to. So ones that come to mind are um, solar winds um which was another extensive one aimed at third parties um specifically uh, and the other one was in the us there was the colonial gas pipeline uh where the, the ransom was actually paid um and they were they went public on that um and it's funny um those were large scale ones i i believe that organizations have definitely strengthened their defense forces against um major scale attacks like that and and you know they, they've Im improved their monitoring uh they have s uh, separated out the network so that if uh, there is a um a vulnerability it doesn't spread quickly like fire um across the network um so the the architectural the decisions um are more robust and, and more secure going forward however um what what i do see a trend of now is, is in uh, two other areas uh one is in the the what we call the operations technology area which which i think is is uh where the criminals the cyber criminals are now starting to focus on an awful lot more um, when I look at the, I was just on a, a cyber leaders call this morning um, across our European region, and when I look at the um, work we're doing across organisations, it's actually the energy sector that we're doing most of our work, particularly in security and network security. And that's because the criminals have identified that um, power stations that um, that um, any utility companies is a critical and a key dependency on those organizations uh, for the national infrastructures of organizations. And to attack those utilities, and, and there are certain motives out there for attacking those type of uh, critical dependencies can do a lot of damage to an organization, uh, to a country and to citizens as well. Um, so that that risk of the utility company uh, being held to ransom and data being breached and um, energy being disrupted um, can cause a lot of disruption. Um, and uh, that's where we're, we're seeing a lot of work. So that OT operations technology in the utility space is, is quite key. And then the, the other area is with third parties. Um, and a bit like solar winds, there's a number of third parties um, that organizations rely upon for their supply chain, uh, for their business. Um, uh, and if they're impacted uh, as a result of uh, an attack or, or a vulnerability or perhaps an insider, um, th then there is uh, a lot of um, chaos and, and, and havoc that can be produced uh, and, and, and can emerge with, other, with, with their clients. And that's what we saw with solar winds. 
and that's what we now see when it comes to a lot of the uh, the attacks and a lot of the uh, weaknesses we see within our corporate networks it's third parties so third parties uh, chloe and ot operations technology are probably the focused areas recently and, and Chloe, if, Brian, if, I, if I was to add one thing to that as well, and that is, I, I'd agree with Pat. I mean, that that third-party cyber attack is 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 very challenging, especially for organisations like health services, which have multiple multiple vendors across a huge range of services that are provided. Managing the cyber hygiene for all of those vendors is a real challenge. And I think a lot of the, the sort of the, the the bad actors now have looked at large corporates and have realised that they have improved their defenses and we all know it's an arms race at all times mm. but they're now targeting some of these smes knowing that they then also have the keys are you to get into some of these larger organizations and that's there are there's some real challenges there in in managing and ensuring that the that the uh the third party supply chain is is hygienic uh, from a cyber perspective one of the things the irish hsc should be applauded for is for its efforts to publicly share the learnings from this ransomware attack, as I mentioned earlier. And you've done a great job in managing the story in the media, Fran. And I know that you're passionate about helping to raise awareness so that other organisations can understand the impact and be able to prepare and respond effectively. So it would be great to pick out a few key learnings for our listeners now and give them some practical advice for ransomware resilience. What would be your first lesson or piece of advice for another organisation? So, so part of the report, as I say, Chloe, is, as, as, as we did ask that 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 we would look at trying at trying to help other organisations because, like you know, the pain that we went through, we said like no no other organisation should be through that, and we are we are a public body, so we will we, we would try and do that. I suppose, look, you know, there were there, there were a series of lessons, and 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 you start at the beginning is that like technology and its dependencies and governance is where you'd start. And I think we we spoke about it earlier on. Like, I mean, board execs need to understand the extent of the critical operations that are dependent on technology. Uh, this includes the understanding and managing of the technology risks. So for an example, you know, when we had a cyber when we had our cyber attack, I don't think anybody fully understood the the amount of data that flows between various parts of the organization to support. So for example, you know, somebody goes into their general practitioner, they want to get a, a, a diagnostic test for radiology laboratory. That is electronically sent into the HSE and electronically comes back. Now, if any part of those systems are not working, then a lot of that breaks down. Also, like our phone systems are all IP based, which run across our backbone network. So you know the 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 technology dependencies that organisations have is probably not well understood by the board or, or or by a lot of the execs. The second really big one was that um, we had really good IT people, and they were good IT people. They weren't cyber security people, and the organisation and organisations need to invest in cyber security teams. Um, and to have somebody who is in a single accountable leader for cyber security, preferably reporting directly back to the CEO, back to the board, so that there isn't this uh, 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 um, challenge of working between the CIO and, uh, and the CISO. Um, I think Pat had spoken earlier around, you know, ransomware specific assessments. So, 
you know, organizations find it very difficult to understand the challenge that would be there if you if you turned off all of your ICT. Um, and you know, a, a way I used to try and describe it in the past was you've come into your organization in the morning and there is no electricity. Please run your business for the next three weeks. And you have no access to electricity. That's what it's like having no IT systems. Because a lot of this, you know, apart from heat and light, everything else has a sort of a digital footprint. So people need to do real cyber assessments to, and, and specifically on ransomware and understand what are the sort of controls they would need and how they would recover from such an event. Okay. Um, the, the, the other piece, I suppose, that, and, and, and goes in line with that is around business continuity and disaster recovery. So a lot of people think that the cyber attack is purely an ICT issue. The business has to continue to work, and especially in healthcare, we just can't turn around and stop saying we're not going to provide health services to people. So there has to be really good business continuity plans that do their best to cope without digital. And around the disaster recovery is around how fast can we get the totality of the organization back and working again. And one of the bits that we found difficult to understand, um, and to be fair to, 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 to Pat and the team, we, we, it was explained to us properly, was really around having a retained incident and crisis support team. So one of the challenges when we brought in our and we, we established our war room, and we brought together all of the teams from various areas, from a lot of the consultancy houses, from uh, the public service, from the civil service, from the defense forces. None of those people understood our network, understood our layout, understood how the HSE ran and operated. So having a partner there who knew that from day one would have been a huge advantage and definitely would have helped speed up uh, and would have taken away some of the pressure from my team to try and explain how things worked and, and, and how they were delivered within, within the constructs of our organization. And last but no means least, it's around testing that cyber cap uh, capability, you know, using ethical hackers, mm. uh, simulating end-to-end -end attacks, like the red team testing, providing a threat-based perspective on vulnerabilities on ransomware. Okay? And they're really, really important to try and help people like myself to actually close the, 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 the holes that are there. And Chloe, well, I might just, because uh, Fran's done a great job, um, and I'm sure many of the listeners will be writing down furiously some of those key learnings. Um, one of the areas that, that survived the attack, um, and, and it was um, it was a really good investment made by the HSE, was their cloud-based uh, systems. So, so they had a number of cloud-based platforms. But, and, and, and if you picture this, like this was during the pandemic. So, so, so this attack happened on in the midst of another major crisis. So it's not as if they had a, enough crisis on their hands already, but the, the pandemic was on at the same time. And uh, there were some really key applications that, um, that the public relied upon uh, to help them through uh, the pandemic. And one of them was the whole vaccination database. And uh, the HC did a fantastic job, or I think over a Christmas period, to stand up uh, a significant uh, enterprise uh, platform um, on the cloud. 
And uh, just with the protection that was afforded by the cloud service provider, that was immune from the attack itself. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, learning from the attack that organizations today, when they're architecting their infrastructure, that uh, the cloud definitely provides industrial strength protection that if you're doing it on-prem or locally, you find it hard to replicate. And Pat, if I can just add to that one thing that we support as well, it, it isn't just that it went to a cloud. One of the things that we've tried to do now is we've tried to uh, 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 segregate yeah. a lot of our assets across multiple clouds. Um, yeah. And, you know, if they are on-prem across multiple parts of our on-prem environment. So, you know, as we, you know, you can see there was, a, there was an attack on NHS systems, which was a cloud-based attack. So just having the cloud doesn't protect you on, in its own right. It gives you much better protection but you also need to take the other steps as well and you need to be able to segregate so that all your assets aren't in the one place. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that cloud-based systems point there, Pat and Fran. You know, I recently have been involved in some offensive security assessments where the client had recently started migrating part of their organization over to the cloud and the situation for the testers was a lot harder because they were given um, a domain joined instead sorry instead of given a domain joined laptop laptop they were given a cloud joined laptop which made it a lot harder for them to enumerate the network and it's just these simple steps well I say simple but I mean that distinction between the devices really prevented them from getting further um, so the lessons that I picked out there was understanding your, your data dependencies, what is the flow of data in order to access systems and having an understanding and a grasp of that. Number two was having cybersecurity professionals, not just IT professionals, people who are trained in cybersecurity within the organization who are there to support before this attack has happened but also if an attack like this happens afterwards number three business continuity planning so understanding how you're going to operate should the worst happen for having a trusted partner that understands your organization to help and support you if the worst was to happen and then number five having an understanding of how your organization would deal in a ransomware situation by having threat emulation like ethical hacking, for example. If I missed anything out there. No, I think you've covered them. <laughs> yep, well done, Chloe. So listening to you both talk about those hours and those days after the ransomware attack hit, it seems clear that the impact went far beyond what people might have associated with the cyber attack. Like you said, Pat, it's almost like talking through a bit of a thriller or, or a film almost. And moving on to our second lesson for listeners, what is your advice about the impact of ransomware and the need for greater resilience? Fran, have you got any thoughts on the need for greater resilience right now? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the resilience comes in, in, in lots and lots of ways, okay? Um, so it is around ensuring that you know, at, at the very start of this is that, you know, you, you start your resilience at the very beginning. Our, our, our ICT estate was quite frail in lots of ways. Um, it evolved over time rather than have been designed for resilience and security. Um, and we are now taking the opportunity to try and, you know, 
undo some of that over time and design for resilience and security. It is around having multiple options for how to access your data. It is around making sure that the networks that you have are designed with security and cybersecurity in mind. Um, and you know, designing for resilience is, is, is sometimes a hard sell because you know, you're basically saying, I, just, I don't just want one uh, a version of it, I want two or three versions to support what I need to do. Um, you, as we said before about, about moving people to the cloud, it is about ensuring that you have your data held in multiple places. It is about ensuring that you have a mature cyber conversation with the CEO, with the board, about the, the real risks that are there and about the sort of investment that is required to uh, identify and then remediate what, what may be there. And Chloe, could, could I add, maybe just because it's become a really hot topic, the whole resilience piece, um, and, and regulators are now starting to focus on this in a big way. So Fran mentioned about um, the, the HSE, the health service executive, being um, an operator of essential services, <clears throat> which is kind of linked to what, what is a, a, an, a regulation called NISD, which is the Network Information Security Directive. And there's a, there's a version two now out there, uh, soon hitting public sectors. Um, there is an equivalent on the financial services side called DORA, which is the digital operations resilience um, act as well. So regulators have uh, are starting to really zoom in on this area and uh, asking very searching questions and asking organizations to prove to them that the resilience levels um, are, are well covered. Um, I look at this, uh, this area of resilience across three areas, and it's the classic people, technology, and process. The people side is really important. Fran's team, like any team, as you can imagine, were really stretched to recover from uh, an event, an incident as major as this. Uh, and having the, those third parties that he can phone on, on day one or hour one is really important to give his team a bit of a break from, from time to time because it's 24-7 when you're in a, in a situation like that. Technology plays a big part as well. And there's lots of different resilience levels that you can now architect and design to, to support that agenda. And obviously the process piece as well is important to test the resilience uh, as well of the, of the technology and of the operations as well. So they're sort of the, the three classic areas, but I think are very important uh, for this topic. And Fran, you mentioned a bit earlier and also Pat you just brought it up then the people piece in terms of you know those that were in your team Fran that were stretched and needing needing a break in terms of dealing with this incident how do you do the people management side of a ransomware attack of your team can you shed some light on some of the lessons that you learned there um the the resilience of our people and their ability to respond uh, 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 is actually quite amazing. However, you know, a cyber attack, the, you know, the, the, the rebuilding of your architecture and your systems takes a number of months. And people do have, you know, sort of a, 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 a an adrenaline rush, you know, in the early days in that, you know, there's so many things going on. There's a, there's, there's a lot of work to do. They're trying to get everything done in, you know, as fast as possible at time. But it, it's not, it, 
it, it isn't just a sprint. It's not just the first hundred yards. It is a marathon. It is about being able to having somebody, you know, being able to stand back and look at the totality of what people need to do and to bring people on a journey around saying, look, you know, we need to put this into work structures. We need to agree how we're going to do it. We need to pace people. We can't burn people out. We need to utilize all of the resources and all of the assets that are at our disposal and bring others in as well. Um, and it is also about, and which is which is the hard piece, and, and people have found this very difficult. It is about letting go in certain areas. It is about trusting other people to help deliver. Um, so it's sort of classic management of a crisis. There's you know communications on one side of it, but also there is a piece around making sure that your own teams are looked after, um, that your own team know what they're doing, that there's a focus on what we're doing, and that everyone's pulling in the one direction. So you know when you establish a crisis management team of the size of ours, of about 120 people, um, you know, those communication daily briefings were really, really important so that we were able to say to people, these are the things that we're focusing on today. And if you're not focusing on those things, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Um, making sure with the team leads that that you know, and there are people who are really, really critical and important, that those people are getting time off and getting rest, and that we aren't flogging them 18 hours a day, seven days a week, because they just burn out and they make stupid mistakes. And, that, and that's not good for them, and it's not good for the program. So it is around pacing people and making sure that they react uh, and they got the time to think as well, which can be very, very challenging. Because like, you know, for all the meetings that we have, there are hundreds and hundreds of actions coming at people. And it is really about trying to say to people, prioritize those in line with what you've been asked to do and try and deliver and be honest and open around the expectations that you know, you're setting yourself and that you're setting back to other people as well. And Chloe, having, having the cool head when everybody else is losing theirs um, is really important. So the leadership in the room, in the war room, the clarity of purpose, and as Fran says, the prioritization, um, the ability to be able to work with third parties and even colleagues that perhaps they, that they haven't worked with previously. So, you know, in terms of calling out the order of priorities of hospitals and systems, those decisions aren't ICT decisions, those decisions are, are should be leadership and, and working with, with the business in any organization to be able to recover in a very sort of crisis situation isn't easy. Uh, and that's where I think the crisis scenario rehearsals and testing in advance is really, really important. Thank you both. To provide a quick summary and recap of everything that we've talked about, we talked about the initial attack, what happened and what was that like for you, Fran? We've also talked about business recovery in the face of a nationwide system shutdown. Importantly, we've also discussed those key lessons that the Iris HSC has learned and shared with other businesses, data dependency, business continuity planning, to name a few. And then finally, we've highlighted how this attack compares to others across different industries. Before we wrap up, I just want to ask you both, Fran, let's start with you. What's your final thought and takeaway for our listeners today? 
So I, I have I have a I have a little line that I use at the end of all of my presentations. Okay, and it, it, it sort of uh, 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 in healthcare prevention is better than the cure, and from cyber prevention is far better than a cyber attack. I love that. We need it on t we need it on t-shirts, Fran. <laughs> and Pat, yours. Yeah, mine's mine's a little bit different. Uh, I suppose um, I I I would talk about um, the importance of um, sharing intelligence and being more transparent about the types of attacks that are out there and the methods um, and the solutions of how to address them. Uh, and, and again, the HSC done a super job with the report, uh, the post incident. Uh, review report, which is still on, on their website for people to, to look at. Um, but we need more organizations uh, showing the bravery of the HSE and, 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 and sh sharing their vulnerabilities uh, that will hopefully protect others and into the future. Thank you both. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to our cybersecurity podcast to help you stay ahead of the cyber trends that matter. In the meantime, you can check out our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash cybersecurity. See you next time.